0: Production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the third youth forum of the school year. I'm Lauren Shepard, a junior at Shaker Heights High School and a member of the City Club of Cleveland's Youth Forum Council. I'm pleased to introduce today's forum, a conversation on the foster care system and how it affects thousands of Ohio's children each year. In the United States, there are approximately 443,000 children in foster care at any given time, with the system taking more than 690,000 children per year. According to According to the Public Children's Services Association of Ohio, more than 20,000 children are projected to be in foster care by 2020, a 60% increase in the last five years. While the number of children in foster care in Ohio increases, resources and funding have not. Despite approximately $30 million in additional funding, Ohio still ranks dead last in per capita state funding for children's services. In addition, the number of available foster homes, support service programs, and case workers is not kept up with the pace of number of children who are in need, which is far-reaching repercussions, especially for those who age out of the system without the necessary support they need in adulthood. Our panelists today to discuss this include Representative Juanita Brent, representing Ohio's 12th District and Kinship Care Advocate, Kevin E. Gilmore, founder of Hashtag Foster Care and Local Foster Care Advocate for Children of Color, Sonia Emerson, co-chair of the A Place for Me Leadership Board, and Deborah Galt, director of foster care at Ohio Guidestone. Here to guide our discussion is Youth Forum Council Member Niall Gore, a junior at Solon High School. Nigel, I turn the forum over to you. Thank you so much for that. I'm uh, Nigel
2: Gore, a Solon High School junior, and I'm a member of the Youth uh, Forum Council. Welcome to the forum, everyone. Uh, this is the third forum of this year, and we're here to discuss the foster care system in Ohio. All right, so I'm going to begin with the first question, which is, what are the causes that lead to children into the foster care system? And um, yeah, so you guys are free to...
3: I think there is... My name is Juanita Brand. I just happen to be a state representative. but. I'm also a product of kinship care myself. So there's multiple reasons why kids are placed into a foster, I mean kinship care in particular. It could be a parent giving their child up, that was particularly my case, or the housing situation is not adequate and the system comes in, our government comes in and says they need to go somewhere else with another relative. There could be situations where the child was never in the parent's care from birth and then they go automatically over to a family member's home. So there's a lot of different reasons.
4: I was, oh. <laughs> there's also issues of um, medical care that a child needs that a family cannot take care of. Um, domestic violence, poverty as you spoke of. Um, the county comes in and sees fit to take custody of the kids and place them in foster care while the parent's working their case plan.
5: I would add I think foster care is a manifestation of slavery. And so as a result of that, uh, African-American families are railroaded and the same per diems that complete strangers are paid uh, could help birth mom uh, and families support. And so that extra $600 to $1,000 a month, depending upon behavior level, is a reason why most people, I think, come into care. I think black mothers in particularly don't have the access to legal support when their doors are knocked on and they play by the rules and let them in. I also think because there is a lack of African-American families who are, um, have the financial means to do kinship care, um, kids come into care. And last but not least, most African-American families have felons, uh, felonies. And um, I know even when I tried to get my own siblings because of a felony I had at that time, my sisters went into care. So, f- culturally, for the African Americans who are coming into care, I just think it's a manifestation of slavery.
6: I think for me, um, there's this perceived notion that kids aren't safe with their families. Um, and I don't think that's always necessarily true. Um, when county comes into a home, there's literally no regard for cultural um, differences um, in the way that um, African-American families or families of color um, care for their kids. Um, because of the poverty in our community, um, especially for the minorities and uh, single mothers and women of color, um, that there's this idea that mothers are not equipped um, to take care of their children. Um, There's the issue of when they are working their case plan, um, the basic needs of a parent, like getting their transportation, um, at least in my case for my mom, Just the idea that when there were calls made to um, County about six times it took them six times to respond And I think sometimes when they respond they respond to remove um, and not to help and I think that that's a huge issue in our community um, That we need to address especially with families of color so
2: Anything else you guys want to add I think that all of your viewpoints are awesome. Our system is not set up
3: to properly help people be even in in the right state, especially when you talk about our minimum wage not being a livable wage. So even if someone's saying like, well, you need to go get a job, but if you're making having a minimum wage job, you're still dependent upon the system. So if you're talking about you need to have a two-bedroom apartment in the city of Cleveland that's going to run you at least $700 a month, and you need to get transportation because we don't adequately fund our public transit within our state. So how are you expecting people to be able to take care of their child when even you talk about child care or after care could run you almost 2000 a month?
5: I would add, thanks for that, because you just reminded me of something that 76% of girls who age out of foster care are mothers before their 21st birthdays, uh, leading to higher rates of poverty, criminal conviction, and involvement with the child welfare system. And so a bulk of the kids who went into foster care now are losing their own kids. Um, and so that's another number. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that because of the heroin epidemic, there's a crisis on child welfare. But this is just a manifestation of exactly what happened
4: in the 80s.
2: Anything else, Ms. Scout? do you want to add there
4: anything? Is a, there is a greater need today for foster parents. Every agency in Northeast Ohio is having the same issue in recruiting and training appropriate families to take care of the kids. Um, We have a great number of kinship providers coming into our agency wanting to be licensed because there is a subsidy that comes along with having a foster child. But also, we can help them help their kids get services within our own network, within our own agency.
6: I think also we don't adequately pay enough to kinship care providers Mm -hmm. um, Just with the assumption that because they are a family that that's the expectation is set that they're supposed to step up Mm -hmm. Um, but also (laughs) Understanding that there are a lot of siblings that I know that emancipate from care that are more than willing to step up But because of the perpetuated stigma of them being um, a person who experienced foster care, then they're not the first person that we're looking to. Um, And I would also say that, and I know we're not on this, but talking about permanency um, is super huge, um, and foster care is not permanency, and I, I hate right. to blow the cover for that, <laughs> um, but we need to be making sure that when our kids do enter into care that it, we don't just have a return or reunification plan, we have a permanency plan for our young mm-hmm. people, and we don't discuss that enough because permanency isn't just elite legality, it's a relational thing, it's about relationships, and we don't pay enough attention to relationships. Um, we're so focused focused on resources, um, and that we miss that our young people are one day going to be old enough to, um, when they're in the system, to emancipate, and who are they going to go home to? Um, and again, this is also intergenerational as well, um, which we don't talk about of parents um, also being um, victims of foster care, and then their children becoming um, foster children. We don't look at the
2: generational
6: things either. so.
2: Really quickly, just speaking on the idea of kinship, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but do any of you guys feel um, knowledgeable enough to speak on exactly what it is, for some people who may not exactly know what it is, because most people are all the heroes of adoption and foster care.
5: (laughs) I came into foster care from being in a kinship care placement. My grandmother lived in East Cleveland um, in a senior citizen apartment that went by her income, so realistically, she had no business with me. Um and she ended up getting breast cancer and the day of my emergency hearing was the day she had her breast removed and I became a foster child on that day. Um I know Rhett Brent, your story. So for from me,
3: my mother gave me up when I was four and instead of me just going over to foster care, which would technically put you in the home of someone that's not blood related, they put me in the home of my aunt who was my blood relative. So that is the difference between foster care and kinship care. Kinship care, you're actually put um, the child is put in a home of a relative. So that just makes a world of a difference when it comes to the care, even with that within that. But I'll just say even for the cycle, my mother was a product of kinship care. My grandmother passed away when my mother was nine years old. Mm-hmm. So the same aunt that took care of me was the same person who took care of my mother. And so things somewhat become a cycle within itself. So I can just say for me, I'm fighting for my life that I don't continue that cycle of kinship care, of putting my child into the system within myself. And sometimes you see that within itself because you didn't receive the services that you needed when you were in kinship care, that it goes on that now your child doesn't receive the services that they they needed in kinship care or foster care.
6: And I just want to clarify, too, when it comes to kinship care, there's two types of uh, kinship care one is formal and one is informal um, right now I'm an informal care- careship giver a caregiver to my two nieces and also my sister um, who had a stroke uh, two strokes recently and because I'm an informal caregiver which means that the court did not give me kinship care um, I just innately just stepped into kinship care because I did not want my my nieces to go into foster care um, and there's no support for informal careship caregivers um, just to clarify that so
2: thank you for your clarification mm-hmm. I'm not aware if many of you were confused about that but just thought that it should be cleared up um, my second point that I really want to talk about is abuse within the foster care system um, as I'm sure that all of you are aware or may have even been, um, subject to abuse within the foster care home that you were either placed in um, or that you've heard stories about. So,
5: I think um, one of the, the biggest challenges is uh, the mental abuse because educators who are in the field and who may even be in these rooms throw the word trauma around a lot. And it's sexy, it's classy, it's provocative until people are really living that. And unfortunately, statistically, they say that foster kids have PTSD two times that of a war veteran. And so I know personally for me, I cannot stand holidays to save my life. And the only holiday I care about now, of course, is my birthday and my son's birthday, but I have to, even as a mom um, who is in therapy, I have to realize that I could be imposing those feelings onto him. The other uh, challenge that I think happens very often is sexual abuse. That was something that happened to me as well in foster care, and because if you're a behavior problem, um, quote, unquote, assertive, because they don't know how to label you, um, it's like you should be very grateful for this place, you stay right here, that's fine, and so a lot of foster youth subject themselves to that behavior, and then they also, in turn, will do the exact same things or they will become overly promiscuous. Um, And I think that's why we are like the fifth in the state for human trafficking because you basically have been trafficked the entire time you've been in foster care, whether that's from placement to placement or um, being touched inappropriately. You're already built for it tough for anything that happens um, outside of care, which makes you pray to be trafficked.
3: Before, as soon as my aunt, received care of me when I was four she put me in with a therapist as soon as she received me she didn't know what all happened before she got me what happened with my mother's house she just knew that something happened because I used to just be a child who used to sit at home and cry every day from kindergarten all the way through high school if you look at any of my high school pictures and maybe some of your parents might have went to school with me I see a couple of my friends kids in here but I didn't smile at any of my school pictures And I could never explain why I was always so sad about taking pictures. And just so she knew I constantly needed some type of therapy. And so even as an adult, I I still go to therapy now. Even if you've never been through kinship care or foster care, I do believe that we need to, as a state, invest more money into our behavioral health services overall. You have to take care of your mind. So even if you weren't ever physically abused, the whole situation of you being removed from your parents, whatever the situation is, that's gonna feel like some type of trauma because it's natural for people to wanna be connected to their parents. Even if your parents are in the worst thing in the world, you're always gonna have a desire to wanna find your parents. So even as a child, I was constantly going to go look for my mother. She would be in the worst situations. I found her one day behind a Wendy's in East Cleveland, which is still there, I believe it's still there, in East Cleveland. And she was in the worst situation where she, literally had just gotten beat up by a guy and i came to pick her up i hadn't talked to her for like a year and she literally just called me on a random but i was so hungry to just have her yeah. i went and got in my car in the middle of the night about two o'clock i didn't tell anybody because i knew if i told anybody they were going to tell me not to do it i was a kid and that was just some type of trauma that i had to deal with or just wanted to find her even if it hurts and so you'll find that within you know kids who are going through the system that they have to they'll revisit and relive those situations because they want to connect with their parents So for the people who are kinship caregivers or foster caregivers It's not that they don't appreciate that they are in this home or they don't care But it's something natural inside of us like a of our spirit to want to be with our parent even people who are here when you go home if you haven't seen your parents in a long time and they went on a business trip, you look at them like, you've been gone all this time, did you just forget about me? It's just something internal that connects us all together to our biological parents.
6: Are you looking this way?
3: Hey, do you all (laughs) Um,
6: You know, um, I would definitely say that the amount of times that young people Um, transition from one home to another um, really affects their their psyche, um, affects the way that they move and navigate through the world Um, and I know there's data that shows by a young person's third worker um, they have a a 7 percent chance of achieving permanency Um, and that's heartbreaking because you think they have an intake worker they have a worker that comes out to the home and then they have a a worker that moves them that's already three Um, and for Older young people which we kind of look over um, Their chances of achieving pregnancy is like close to none Um, Especially if they're in a sibling group, and I think that um, Us being sensitive to that that that's a real thing Um, And making sure that we know we connect them to family I think I can't say it enough kinship care is super super important and like you just said like rep said it's important to make sure that you know and understand that no matter what that young person has been through with their family, they wanna be connected to their family. Um, family doesn't have to just mean immediate family, but young people do have family out there. Um, I struggle every time that I'm talking to County um, and they say, well, dad was an addict and mom you know, neglected kids. Well, they also have cousins and third cousins and things like that. and they're no more of a stranger than their mom is because they're family, The roots are there, they're connected culturally there, and they want to know. And a lot of times when we, we do the three to five um, calls to reach out to aunts and grandma, but we don't look at the, the third cousins and the third aunts and other generations. And by the time we get there, there's other people doing the work that's not county, um, that's private agencies, because I work for one of them. And when we call, they had no clue that these kids were in foster care, Um, no one called them. And so um, I think when I think about issues with kids being in foster care, it's really not being connected to their roots. That's super important. Um, Even if the kid doesn't want to physically be there, they deserve to know their family, so.
5: Yeah, I was thinking when you were talking too about institutional abuse and uh, privilege abuse, uh, because there's a surplus of African American kids being placed and white families that do not have the cultural competency to raise black children without black people. Um, and then it's the uh, institutional um, abuse where you can be placed several times, your behavioral level could be, you know, go up, and you have to take psychiatric meds. And so I think we've leveraged the double hockey sticks out of that because there are so many foster kids that are on psych meds that is mind boggling. And so when it's time for them to age out, they have no way of functioning. Half of them want to emancipate like yesterday. I hate that word because slaves emancipated. But they want to emancipate almost immediately and they don't have the skill set to know to get your medical so that you can stay on the meds that you were taking that made your behavior level higher and help the foster parent perhaps pay off their house or car or whatever. So I think, When I when I think about abuse, I'm not even thinking physical, sexual, mental anymore. Now that I'm older and I've had the opportunity to navigate the system, um, I think the system is abusing the system now, Um, and the residual of that is poverty, and particularly for kids of color who are aging out. I think.
6: Lastly, too,
5: can you all hear me? Okay. (laughs) There we go. Um, So.
6: Let me just say this, because I, I this is probably not the space to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, we don't talk enough about the LGBTQ community. Um, I do a lot of training on it, especially the people in the community that are LGBTQ um, of color. I identify as a lesbian and 19 percent of our kids that come into care identify on the lgbtq plus spectrum we don't talk about that enough and the reason why it's such a high percentage is because of family rejection Mm -hmm. um, abuse or physical um, or sexual assault um, to young people that identify on the spectrum um, entering into care and we're not addressing that enough and we're not getting them therapy and the help that they need Um, not therapy for who they are but therapy for the way that people treat them, whether it's family, systems, Um, we're not ahead, we're way behind, especially in Cuyahoga County, when it comes to talking about uh, diverse sexual orientation and gender identity and the way that young people express their identity. Um, I have the privilege of working really closely with a lot of young people in care every day. Um, who are a part of the trans community that are people of color and they're afraid to leave their homes, they're afraid to be in their homes and the bullying starts within their homes, not even in school, not even in their communities, but at home in their foster homes because foster parents aren't educated and do not have the, the tools to really address these things. Um, and the biggest thing that I tell people when especially when parents tell me this just isn't natural. it is. It is natural for people to be who they are, express themselves. It's not natural for you to reject them and for them to be in 20 foster homes because of that. Um, Young LGBTQ people, especially young people of color, are two times more likely to be fostered in double the placements um, than their average peers who are in foster care. That's a huge problem. Um, We don't talk about it enough in our community. And I really get tired. So anytime I get an opportunity, I want to really bring that to people's attention is that there are a lot of people living in the closet, and there. Are a lot of people that are unsafe in their foster homes because their foster homes it's not that they mean to reject they don't know how to um they don't know how to talk about i feel i'm, I'm scared for your safety when you leave this house um, and County workers are outing our kids, right, to our foster parents. And it's becoming a mental health issue and it's nothing wrong mentally with our young people. It's something wrong with the people who are are afraid to talk about the elephant in the room. And so we really need to start having those honest conversations and dialogs
3: i I'm so glad that Sonya brought that up. I remember going to a church, I don't go there anymore, I'm gonna tell you why, and the pastor was like, you know, you know, if you keep on living that life, he was referring to a, a, a child of his that we're going to kick you out of the house. And I remember overhearing the conversation because everyone, you know, everybody at the church just knew the young guy was, you know, gay. And I didn't really think too much of it because you grow up with somebody, you like, well, they are who they are. Yeah. And I remember his father said that and I was like, I'm not going to this church no more. <laughs> and it just became a thing of just safety that that's how we treat our own people yeah. and that we just have to really just love on people we have a, a serious problem how we treat our trans black women and that the high number of people who are being a series of homicide and it kind of when you are pushing your child out of your home or even pushing them out of a foster care or a kinship care, you're sometimes pushing them into prostitution human trafficking you're pushing them into different type of lifestyle choices where they feel like they don't have an option but to do that. So I remember you know, visiting some young people, sitting down with a, a bunch of young people, mostly African-American, and they were telling me that before they were even 17, they were kicked out of their homes. And they weren't as fortunate as m- maybe myself to have an aunt to take me in. They were just living on the streets and doing what they had to do to make it within our system. So it's even those that part of kids who never even get into the system because they're 16, 17, 18, and they kind of slip through the cracks so they stop going to school, but no one cares. They stop living at home, but no one cares. They're you know, selling their body just to have somewhere to stay, or they're selling their body to have somewhere to sleep. They're moving from couch to couch. Our system has to do be- better about protecting all Ohioans' youth, no matter what their sexual orientation is, and that's ridiculous that anybody is feeling that, that way. I hope and pray, and we're sitting here with a bunch of young people, that if you do not feel safe at home, that you can feel free to tell any of us about your fear. I don't want any young person underneath the sound of my voice to feel like they have to go home to trauma. You should not have to live like that at all. And our state has to come up with a better system. We're working on the Ohio Fairness Act right now, which is one of the bills that I co sponsor to protect our LGBT community. Because there's discrimination that is happening right now even when it comes to housing. For somebody to live somewhere, somebody could find out that you're LGBTQ and kick you out of your housing, kick you off of your job because we're at will state. And that's not fair. And some of you guys might not be working now, but if you turn 15, 16, 17, 18, you would never want to get kicked off your job or kicked out of your home because of who you decide you want to love or how you want to identify yourself. And we have to do better as a state about handling that period. Thank
5: yeah. you right. for that. Okay, so I was gonna not chime in on this because I don't wanna get emotional. I feel like I'm like a real not. sensitive back on the low. But um, my sister uh, went into a placement with a Caribbean family and she came out in foster care. It was probably like the easiest place for her to come out. Wrong family to come out with. So I do think some of the families do, you know, have a disgust about it for whatever cultural reasons, but she ended up running away from that placement and prostituted for two years out of foster care. Nobody could find her, they knew that's what she was doing, and it was a manifestation of being rejected sexual, you know, because of her sexual orientation in that placement. So when I think about why is it necessary for us to have these open dialogues, we don't talk about sex in foster care. You want kids to be good, (laughs) take your medicine, you know, and refrain from talking about sex, or safe sex, or same sex, or sex, 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 sex. There's no conversation about sex in foster care. I don't remember not having one, except for, you know, don't get pregnant. So, I think that's another conversation that needs to be had. How are we discussing sex, sexually transmitted diseases, early pregnancy, because everyone is so uncomfortable talking about sex. Sex, sex. (laughs) Sex.
2: (laughs) Um, really quickly, before we move on, Mrs. Galt, do you have anything that you want to, how do you react to situations? I'm, I'm
4: listening to my fellow pan- panelists, and my mind is, I'm thinking about things that are going on at Cuyahoga County, specifically with the LGBTQ, um, training foster parents, helping them understand the population, so that kids can be successful in being who they are in foster homes. Ohio Guidestone has one foster family that's gone through this training. I'm hoping with your help, we can encourage more of our foster parents to, to go through that training so that we can help those kids. Um, our goal at Ohio Guidestone, and I would hope my competitors um, have the same goal, is, is to totally make trauma zero with our kids. Um, the training that we give our foster parents, I think, is training with today's issues, um, and we work so closely with our families. I think that we do a really good job in, in um, picking the right families to take care of the kids that need the, the care. Um, we've got a great staff um, who develop such close relationships with their kids that the communication is free and easy. There's a lot of trust so that they can divulge things that are going on in their foster home that they're not comfortable with and that those issues can be resolved so children can stay. Moves hurt kids, Mm -hmm. period. That's what we preach, moves hurt kids.
5: You know it's so interesting being on any panel because oftentimes I feel like our panels are like church. You only feel it when you're there and when you leave you're back to your regular life. But for the people who've experienced foster care and who who are living it day to day, most people think when you age out then you should phase out all of the challenges and barriers you had when you were in foster care. And so many words, even as an adult at 35, trigger me about foster care. Because when I hear competitors, I think about a job. I think about like Burger King mcdonald's wendy's chipotle and they all offer fast food but they offer it differently and i feel like that is the biggest challenge that we have in the child welfare system is that it is proposed as a job and i was taught that a job will keep you just over broke and the signs are in the most impoverished neighborhoods where people need a job and so they treat their foster placements like a job And then these companies, these agencies, or private agencies that I feel like are plantation owners because most of the CEOs are white and they service black people and they don't have the staff to engage the right people because you don't understand the language or the diction to use to attract the best people for the job. They end up displacing the kids because it's business. Beechbrook is competing with Applewood. Applewood's competing with and nobody's doing it right because nobody has the right people at the table and the right people that need to be at the table are former foster youth. You should be hiring and consulting with people who experienced it, lived it, surpassed it and are engaging, they're engaging a new set of eyes. The youngest person that follows me on social media, they got their foster care license was 22 years old. She has two placements at 22. We're doing it wrong because we don't have the right people at the table and that word competitors is exactly the mindset for child welfare in ohio sorry to sidebar no, but it's just fine. we got to stop like we, yeah competitors as a, as a state representative
3: one of the things that i'm looking forward to doing i'm actually working with a lot of foster care um, parents as well as kinship caregivers as well as former foster youth and Kevin, and i hope to work with you guys too is a kinship bill of rights and it's very important that we kind of streamline the services that we need to provide for the child that's in placement and also for the people who are providing the care no matter if it's respite care making sure that kids are receiving more behavioral services and taking care of the whole child because the goal our goal as a state is to make sure that this child is able to succeed in life and we have to figure out how we take care of the whole child with those necessary wraparound services so it's a lot of things we can all learn from each other, and I, I do believe that I can learn a lot from somebody who's been through the system. I can learn from somebody who's received the formal education from an accredited university. I can also learn from someone who is a kinship care giver in their home. We all have something to bring to the table, but that's how we have to look at it, is that we all have value, and it's not one that's weighted higher than the other, but everybody has to be at a table. I know I'm sick and tired of seeing tables where people who, aren't, who have never been through the system are sitting at the table. A lot of times, people and even different other people who before I became a state rep didn't always know that I went through the system. So when they would talk to me about foster care or kinship care, they talked about it like it was this distant thing, like it was those kids over there. Like these kids that are out in the streets, they're shooting up people and they're doing crazy stuff. And I was a kid who went to Beaumont. I was a kid who went to you know, college, finished college, so you know, they didn't, I didn't fit into this box of what kinship care looked like because I had an aunt who also happened to be a, a state representative at the time, who at the time was a chair of a committee, who at the time was a realtor, who at the time was a nurse. So I was not fit into that, that box, but there's something we all can give to the system of how we can take care of our kids. We have to do better that within our educational system of catching the clues when kids aren't coming to school. Kids have soiled clothes. Kids who don't have the water at home. I walked through one of my communities. I'm not even gonna say where it is in my house district. People didn't even have furniture. Four, five, six people didn't have furniture. Nothing at all. This lady, she was a grandmother. She just wanted her grandkids in the house. She couldn't figure out how she was gonna do it. Didn't have furniture, went to go. You know, she came to another event of mine. She just told me to come over. And we all sat on the floor. We sat on the floor of her apartment. And I just knew at that moment, I could have said something to the system and said like, hey, this lady got these kids. But I knew she loved them and she was doing everything she could to protect them. And that was more important than taking them out of that home and putting them somewhere else. So we as a system have to figure out what is the best thing for this child and how we can better support this grandmother who's doing the best thing she can. She's retired, she has limited income because her income is not increasing even though the cost, the inflation is increasing, her little pension she receives, her little Social Security she receives, is still the same. So how can we better support those family members who are taking in those children when they don't feel like they have any choice at all? And that means no matter where us as a state is helping them receive money for clothes, for behavioral health services, for school supplies, we have to come up with a streamlined service to make sure we take care of the whole child. And that's what I look forward to doing with the Kinship Care Bill of Rights for the state of Ohio.
2: I wanna thank all of you guys for being such, um, you're so transparent in your truth and I love how you guys are able to tell the truth and be honest um, with such complex material. You guys are killing it. I'm gonna
0: turn the floor over <laughs> to Nick for a little bit. Yeah, I just wanna, um, please join me in giving uh, a round of applause again to our <laughs> panelists here today. This is a discussion. This is a discussion that is not easy to have, but it is one that must be had. Um, and so, good afternoon. My name is Nicholas Caraballo, a senior at Sullen High School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Today at the City Club, we are listening to a discussion on the foster care system in Ohio and how it affects thousands of children daily. Child, thousands of children daily. Today's panel features Representative Juanita Brent, representing Ohio's 12th district and kinship care advocate. Kevin E. Gilmore, founder of hashtag foster care and local foster care advocate for children of color. And uh, S- uh Sonia Emerson, co-chair of a Place for Me Leadership uh, Board, and Deborah Gould, director of the foster care at Ohio Guidestone. Our moderator today is Nigel Gore, member of the Youth Forum Council. We are about to begin our audience QA. We welcome questions from everyone: city club members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via our live stream. We ask that your questions be brief, to the point, and actual questions. <laughs> if you are joining us via the live stream and would like to ask a question, please tweet it to at CityClubYouth and we'll ask as time allows. Holding microphones today are Youth Forum Council Members Maria Kondratova and Remy Orasanya. Maybe please have the first question.
7: She's gonna hold it. It's not on, is it on? Oh, all right. Okay. Didn't sound like it was. First of all, thank you, ladies. I really do appreciate, and Nigel, um, all the work up there. Um, My name is Holly Spencer Truman. I am the foster parent, recruiter, and trainer with Ohio Guidestone. Um, I'm also a foster and adoptive parent, um, and I've been in the field for a long time. So I have two questions, and I'll make them super succinct. One, Representative Brent, if you have any comments about the kinship um, state of... uh, I understand that lawfully Ohio has been mandated to give our kinship caregivers more money and that that particular process has stalled um, at the state level. And I wondered if you had any um, comment about that because the money's there, as I understand. And Kevin-y, um I actually have, um, am in the midst of writing, have been accepted to present a workshop at a national conference in March in regard to sex, 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 as you say, (laughs) Um, and I'm not teaching plumbing. I'm um, hoping to talk to people in um, our field as well as adoptive and foster parents about how to speak of this topic with our youth in a way that honors the things they've gone through and helps them be more comfortable with the conversation. So if you have any feedback about that, I'd be um, delighted to work it into the curriculum as it is yet unfinished.
3: I think, thank you so much for that question. Within the past administration, not the current administration, but the past administration, it was implemented to be able to give more resources to our kinship families, kinship care families. But within this current mi- administration, it has not been followed through. And that's where people, legislators like myself, and I have a quite a few other allies who are gonna be pushing to make sure that our kinship caregivers receive that, the resources that they need. It's, it's, I'm tired of being tired. And we know there's a thing of the have and have nots even within our system. And I know that to be able to take care of the whole child, you need resources. And so we have to push for that money. If, no, if we don't use that money, it ends up going to the rainy day fund. It's, it's dry down here in the land. So we need that money to come back to the people that, we, that need it the most and that's the kinship caregivers. So that's also gonna be implemented in the bill, um, the bill that I'm working on, the kinship care bill of rights.
5: Um, thanks for your you know slogan my slogan Uh, I substituted uh, for 11 years on and off so I'm always around young adults and they're already talking about it I feel like I've learned more from young adults uh, to be a better parent than I could have ever uh, did navigating it myself with my seven-year-old I've learned from teens. So it's not taboo to them. They're not uncomfortable saying that, you know, they identify as this, they like that, they want this. They're comfortable, middle school, very comfortable, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I'm not uncomfortable saying it. And the reason why I feel like it's so necessary, and I told Nigel this, is that I had an abortion at 20 uh, from age and out of foster care. I was very afraid to be a parent. Um, I did not want to be like my mother. Um, I didn't have anyone telling me what not to do, everything has been trial and error in that department. Some of us are still making mistakes in that department. So we can empathize in action with young adults and um, I feel like, and we've talked about this, that is why our infant mortality rate is so high because I feel like it's a portion of foster youth who um, isn't being calculated in the numbers because they're not being asked the question. So if I can prevent young adults from having early pregnancy, and you know, at 35, you think about an abortion completely different, young ladies, um, than you do at 20 years old. Uh, you know, it hits you different. Uh, we can talk about it um, earlier and using real people to talk about you know what their challenges are. I think so many girls wouldn't give their bodies up. So yeah, I'm I'm open to talk with you about that. is Karen,
4: and I am a school nurse for Cleveland Municipal School District working at St. Martin Depores High School. And I thank you all for your personal stories. Um, One thing I was concerned about, I never knew what kinship care was, so thank you for clarifying that, but um, all of you seem to say that females were taking the lead mostly for your care. Is there or why is there not father involvement with kinship care? I'll,
3: I'll say for my situation, so I'm a first-generation citizen for my family, and at the time when I was put in the system, my father did not have a citizenship. And our laws at the time, in the 80s, that's a long time ago before most of you guys were born. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, the system was not so much working with parents who did not have citizenship. So my father, who was very much in my life, I, I literally had to talk to him about what I was gonna be speaking about today. Um, was not able to get me. He did not have that option to come get me when my mother gave me up. They were not together, and so when he she gave me up and I was put in the system, he couldn't even legally come get me. So when we talk about what's going on with our immigrants and what the stories that we're seeing now, I'm that story. I just happen to be a, a, bra- a black face, but there's a lot of people who now who are coming to our country who their child crossed the border. They can't even get their child out of the system now. I'm that child, I just happen to have an aunt who has citizenship. So it's not that dads don't want to be involved, but it, but it just, you know, for my dad, it's he didn't have a citizenship, or it could have been a dad who had a, um, a past, you know, if you have a criminal record, that will stop your, you getting your child back, or if they don't feel like your house is looking a certain way, or you're not making a certain enough amount of money, you can have all the love in, in the world But if your child gets in the system because of what another parent does, it's hard to get your child. We saw a situation about a couple years ago where a lady basically killed her her child. The father had been fighting to get the child for years before that situation happened. So it's not that these dads don't want their children. The system makes it hard to get them. And we have to address that too, that why these men cannot get their children
5: i I'm reading a memoir right now about slavery and I felt like on every single page the father was displaced strategically. So that's a question that's just like, yeah, that's that's been ongoing from slavery that we should all be very much so aware of that fathers were displaced and that sibling groups were displaced. And so even if my father wanted to come to the forefront because uh my foster care experience with my i'm the oldest of five all five of us went in foster care at some point he had a felony and for whatever reason that's the policy that we should work on if you have a felony you can't get your own kids back so um i guess in that department and then even in the foster care system a lot of the women who are fostering are single moms some of them are doing it to supplement their income some of them are doing it because they want to do it but it's not a lot of men at the table getting their foster care license. And it's interesting, I told a very good friend of mine who happens to be in the room, I said, Terrod, you should be a foster parent. Very good with kids, one of the best guys I've ever saw do it, uh, you know, a figure for my son whose father is displaced. Um, But I remember sending him to a private agency and they asked him several times, are you sure you didn't have a felony? Are you sure? So when we talk about diction and our culture wanting to come to the table and engage in the conversation and get our kids. We are like being stopped at the door and that could have been a turnoff for him if he didn't see value in fostering. Um, Hi Gerard, how are you? We have
4: have quite a few foster parents that are single dads. We have quite a few foster parents that are single moms. Um, The dads are just as wonderful as the single moms are. And it's nice to see.
1: Um, So one of the biggest problems with foster care, I think, is like when kids age out and the system just drops them. So what are some programs that can be created or like just ideas that can help these kids who are like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, who have never had any background in like family life or what they can do with their life? I feel like I created it. I really did, the, the whole hashtag
5: foster care thing is a social media campaign where I engage celebrities, brands, and elected officials in the place of foster kids. So anyone from like Stevie Wonder, to Big Sean, to SZA, to Davies, all of the, the people that young adults care about, um, Tiana Taylor, Tiffany Haddish, I've ha- allowed them or asked them to hold my foster care sign. And I've leveraged social media in such a way that it's given foster kids gumption. They wear shirts that say foster kid. I would strategically wear a shirt that says orphan or a foster kid hoodie. Because at one point it was extremely shameful. When people ask you, like, are you a foster kid? You either it makes you a habitual compulsive liar. One, because you might have a, a parent that's like a senior citizen and you have to explain this you know, I talked to you because you said you went to Shaker. I told you I only went to Shaker Heights because of a foster placement. It's the only reason I was able to see a suburb. But when you go to that school and people are asking questions, you have to lie. It's like, well, why is she older? Oh, that's my grandma, but why is she white? You know, it's a whole bunch of questions. So it's lie after lie after lie after lie. And so I think what the campaign has done is given, um, Teenagers that are not even in foster care, when I'm in certain rooms, they're like, "Damn, I wish I was a foster kid." So they want to go to the concerts. They want to sit courtside. They want to get free clothes from Rock Nation. They, you know, they get in and they've, you know, got a chance to go to Burke front get in and out of private jets. I'm assimilating them to what I feel like is a class that they should have and I leverage my social capital to do it because when you age out of foster care in this city you're given a welfare application and priority housing in a project. You're automatically doomed to poverty and I feel like poverty is a mindset. So I do my complete best leveraging social media to have them have the access that they would have if they had parents. And um, I feel like it's been mind boggling, it's won the Nelson Mandela Humanitarian Award in New New York and the Community Activist of the Year Award in New York, Cleveland's slow. So I'll wait for them to get with the program, but I think teenagers need to feel comfortable in school. And so I'm happy that there's so many teenagers here so that when you go back to school and you see that it's a girl who hair may be a certain type of way or their clothes look a certain type of way and you see that their head is down, you've been to a forum where you have people who have experienced foster care beat the odds but you can empathize in action. Maybe you can start a clothing drive. Maybe you can raise money amongst each other to say, here, we wanted to send you to the hair salon or we wanted to get your nails done. And that's the energy that I wanted it to have without all of the red tape. So I think I've definitely created, you know, something to help with that. We as a state,
3: when we talk about how we can help people transition from being an assistant to coming out, we have to sometimes look at basic things. Um, I went to a forum recently that our governor DeWine just did, and we had two young ladies who had aged out of foster care that did not have a driver's license. My office did some research, and I ran into a lot of foster kids who did not have a driver's license. That's like a rite of passage. And I remember talking to my aunt, who put me in driver's ed. She spent a lot of money. It was at North Randall. That was before y'all time. And (laughs) I went right before Amazon. There was an actual mall there. And it was Sears, and I took the class, and I think about, if you are in foster care, that somebody will have to put that investment so you can have a driver's license, you can have a bank account. Also, where do you go when you come home from school on those winter breaks? I had a colleague of mine, and it's not referring to anybody here on the panel, but during winter break, they didn't have anywhere to go, and they came and stayed at my house. And you know, during winter breaks, when you're away at college, a lot of schools will say everyone has to leave the dorms everyone and I remember the girl was like I don't know where I'm gonna go and she and I weren't even that cool like she was just like somebody who lived down the hall from me we will see each other in passing so we have to have more safety nets within our system if we want our children to phase out and have healthy overall well lives what do they do when they go to college what do they do when it comes to housing we don't want them to just fall into that traps we want them to be productive adults so it's taking care of the whole person and just making sure they have some type of built-in system but we as a state have to do better about that and also allowing people to have behavioral health services into adulthood Mm -hmm. because that doesn't stop i I tell everyone i still have a therapist right now and so having a therapist is not just because i went through kinship care; it's because i'm a state rep and this job is stressful (laughs) (laughs) and also within the city of cleveland they say this is the worst place to be to be an african-american woman and on top of that I'm a product of kinship care where my mother, I visually remember the day my mother left me on the doorsteps of a house and walked away. Yeah. So, you know, me trying to take care of myself, realized that even through adulthood, you still have to have those resources. I just happen to be one of the fortunate ones. I have a, I'm a state rep, so I'm not, I guess you call yourself middle class being a, a state rep. You made it. In so <laughs> many words. I'm still trying to make it but not everybody is as fortunate to have a a great aunt who at the time was a state rep herself who knew to have behavioral health services. And she set that example of not just sending me, but also taking herself. But what happens when that young person transitions out? We still have to provide that support because everybody needs a sense of community, of family. And sometimes that's what happens when they transition out. They don't have that sense of connection of family. So we have to build that if we want these people to be contributing partners to our society, of paying tax dollars to get our, you know, roads, bridges, you know, streets, so whatever. But that's all part of the the kinship care bill of rights that I'm working on. So after this, please ask me for my card. I would love to be able to connect with any you young people who want to contribute to this bill, so you can say like, I wrote a bill for the state of Ohio that becomes a law.
6: And I think also, um, excuse my language, but programs we need okay. people sorry um, because we have too many we have enough programs um, yeah. we don't have people we can call at three in the morning I think last year I did my first consulting gig and I was doing my invoice and I didn't even know how to write a letter to send out right mm-hmm. and I'm 20 I was 25 at the time and I literally sat in my office and cried and my boss came in and was like what's going on And I'm like I don't know, like, where to put the name, like, how do I I send a letter out, right? I'm 25 years old, and I've done this work for six years, right, and so that shouldn't be happening. I didn't have anyone to teach me that, right? And so I think when I say, like, Programs, we need people. Like I really mean that. We need people that we can call on, not formal, not our professional relationships, right? Not our social capital. We need people that we can call, not our mentors. We need connections to people, not programs. And again, to um... Kevin, Kevin, I love your name. (laughs) To her point, you know, we programs are really the head of those programs are people who do not understand what it is to be a person of color. And no offense, I'm really, I'm really appreciative. Um, I have the privilege of working with a lot of organizations, but the reality is is that they do not have either lived experience or understand what it's like to be a person of color. And so you couldn't possibly connect to me um, any more than me coming to your program. So we need those
8: relationships. Hi, my name is Amy Hurd, and I have a long history as, um, with the system I worked for Department of Children and Family Services and my first thing that I I, I want to stand out. In this room, who's from the Department of Children and Family Services? And okay. In like the director, the supervisor, why isn't in this room someone? And until we all work together, I mean, the Department of Children and Family Services is who's taking custody. Mm-hmm. Goldstone works for the Department of Children and Family Services. You have a private contract. Mm-hmm. So where is the Department of Children and Family Services? And until everyone starts working together, whether it's a, I fostered twelve children in custody, I transported children in custody, not for Cuyahoga County because I worked for them. This is the problem. People are not working together, mm-hmm. I agree. okay? Mm-hmm. And I want to address your thing, too, about, I, I think foster care, too, is a form of slavery sometimes, depending, mm-hmm. okay? Depending on how it goes. But at the same time, if you bring a child to a home and this, these people just have basic income, who's gonna take care of that child? You know, if I'm, if I'm working a $10 an hour job and I decide that I'm going to be a foster parent, I don't have the money to take care of four extra children. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can, you can look at it all kinds of ways, and there's all kinds of people. There's good people. There's bad people. I tell people this. I worked it. I lived it. So I know it. But see, this is a good example right here. Where is the Department of County that has the authority? Because nobody on that panel has any when it comes to taking custody. First of all, the only person is a judge anyway. But as the Children of Family Services rule this city, why
3: aren't they here? Were they not invited or did they just refuse to come? We we don't know that, I'll just say State reps do two things, and I just want to clarify because people saying, like, well, what is a state rep? State reps do two things. We bring the money from the state house to the local communities, and we make laws. So they follow the laws, what we come up with as a state. So I know I am working with them to do this kinship care bill of rights and bringing them to the table. Now, what happened with today, with here at the city club, I don't know. But they are being brought to the table so we can take care of the, all of that too.
9: I'm going to turn this over to Kennedy as we end the forum. Good afternoon. My name is Kennedy Smith and I am a junior at Hawkins School. Today at the City Club we have been listening to a forum on how the foster care system affects Ohio's children. The City Club Youth Forums are sponsored by AT&T. Today's forum has additional support from Ohio Guidestone. We appreciate your support. Support for the student participation in City Club Forums comes from the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation and the William M. Weiss Foundation with additional support from the donors you'll find listed in today's program. We are happy to have all of you here. Lastly, we welcome students from Andrews Osborne Academy, Campus International High School, Chardon High School, Design Lab Early College High School, Lutheran High School West, St. Mart, Martin de Porres High School, St. Francis Cleveland, and Wycliffe City Schools. If you enjoyed today's forum, join us on February 20th at noon for the fourth forum, youth forum of the 2019-2020 school year in which we will be discussing the future of the workforce. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, panelists, and thank you, members and friends of the City Club. The forum is now adjourned.
0: For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.